song was from would you have guessed that sam there is no way i guessed that at all i didn't expect it actually so it's a great song <laughs> why didn't well let's see um annabelle and lilton kia ora annabelle kia ora Wallace. did you get it straight away um well initially i went to the jimmy Barnes part of my brain and i was thinking is ah. it working class man but then forever now gave it away oh, yeah. okay <laughs> Yeah, early, yeah. Early, but yeah, it's just the way they want to be forever. That's the yeah. that's what gives it away, eh? Yeah, yeah. Pretty, gotta say, Annabelle, pretty bad lyrics, but what a great song, right? Ah, yeah, it's a classic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the lyrics are peculiar, but oh, it's, it's a goodie. Good on you, Annabelle. Kia ora. Thanks for being with us on the panel here. Nice one there. Um, and uh, yes, indeed, after the release of the single main songwriter, Don Walker, said, Steve, who wrote this song, was drunk in the studio one night and was explaining that Forever Now is meant to be read on several different levels. But as far as knowing what those levels are and where they're heading, I haven't sat down with him sober and got it right into it. Got right into it. <laughs> I haven't a clue what the levels are. Uh, nonetheless, Anadine, it's, uh, it's, it's a, one of those great Australian songs, isn't it? You're there, Anna. Yep. Uh, yeah. The the thing that's particularly funny, actually, though, is, is hearing lyrics like that read aloud. It's it's um, such a strange thing to listen to when you can actually hear how, how yes how kind of lame a lot of that is. You, you see, to, mm. precisely. Well, you just never hear them. You no. never hear the words, yeah. do you? No. And we all listen to the tune. Making yeah. his way down the stairs, he can't help but looking back. What's why is he looking back? Oh, you see, I don't who knows? Know. What's the point? <laughs> you know, who looks back on stairs? Yeah. <laughs> There'll be a meaning. There'll be a deep meaning in there. So let's try and... Uh, I don't know if this is the show to unpack it, but look, Rob Wallace, exactly. we can try it. <laughs> All right, the next song Whisperer next Monday. All right, uh, 25 to 5, Sam Johnson and Anna Dean with me uh, on the panel. And thank you very much for your feedback so far on both mental health and anxiety. And regarding anxiety, in the US, a panel of medical experts recommended... For the first time, that doctors screen all adult patients under 65 for anxiety. Guidance that highlights the extraordinary stress levels that have plagued the US since the start of the pandemic, reports the New York Times. It was intended to help prevent mental health disorders from going undetected and untreated for years or even decades. And here in Aotearoa, Mental Health Awareness Week this week. Reconnecting with people and places that lift you up, that is the theme. We're going to be talking to the Mental Health Foundation Chief Executive soon. But first, we have Nigel with us from Christchurch to talk about his uh, experiences. Nigel, kia ora. Hello, Wallace. How are you? Hello, panel. Hello, Nigel. It is lovely to have you with us, Nigel. And look, regarding uh, anxiety, because you did text into us, how does it manifest with you? How does it affect you? Well, it's um, 
comes across as like um, uh, when it begins, it's like a panic type of um, uh, thing, and um, it just grows from there. And um, once you've got it, um, and then what I um, used to call the big black dog comes up behind you, and um, that's the depression hits in, and um, and it just you don't know it's coming, but and even sometimes when you uh, in the midst of it, you don't really recognise what's happening. It is really quite a strange, dark place to be. Nigel, could you, do you have a, some tools? Like, what do you do mm. when you get um, into that place? What, how, and what's your, I guess, advice to to others who who experience that? What have you found over your life? Um, um, number one, um, and I didn't find it. I didn't know it, um, and I'm uh, retired now. Um, but that was right through my life. Um, I had to uh, leave work, basically retire, because I just the anxiety levels were right up there. Hmm. Um, so John Kerwin actually helped me out because I I heard what he went through. Yes, um, and he put out um, like a an app that you can get. Um, and I um, uh, spoke to work, and um, I went on to, like, I had a lady uh, who was super supportive, and, and she spoke to me, and um, she simply said, well, look, I can talk to you, um, but I can't fix you. you. It's only you can fix yourself. And she went through certain steps that um, I found on the app and all, all that sort of stuff. Um, and yes, I had to find people to talk to who would understand. And it's okay. amazing, it's amazing how many people do actually uh, care about you. Yeah. Oh, kia ora, Nigel. Mm-hmm. And it comes back to, we're going to be talking about this very shortly, it comes back to that idea. Perhaps uh, the theme this week is reconnecting with people and places that lift you up. you think that's a worthy message to support? Nigel? He's gone. No, he's gone. All right. Um, with us is Sean Robinson, the Chief Executive of the Mental Health Foundation. Sean, kia ora. And you would have heard uh, Nigel there. Yeah, kia ora, Wallace. Yeah, no, and uh, look, my my, uh, my support goes out to Nigel there. Uh, I mean, I also experience significant um, anxiety as part of the bipolar that I live with. So mm. I totally understand what he's talking about. Um, I am, I've been there. I, I will in, inevitably be there again at uh, different points during any sort of 12-month period. So, mm. yeah, you know, kia kaha, brother. Um, stay strong. Uh, Nigel, yeah. Yeah, and he's, uh, you know, sort of as Sam said, he's uh, found some tools that he's able to, um, you know, manage it or sort of help sort of uh, guide him through his life. But what's extraordinary, I just want to bring you into this uh, New York Times, what is extraordinary is really the amount of people, uh, Sean, that live with anxiety, suffer from anxiety, um, so much so in the US, they're recommending, uh, you know, a large screening program, but also here in New Zealand, um, uh, such a huge amount deal with with anxiety, right? Oh, look, absolutely. And, 
Yeah, and this was it, this was the case before COVID nineteen came along yeah. uh, and really and turned our world topsy turvy. So, uh, yeah, I mean the the rate per uh, hundred thousand, you know, had sort of uh, more than doubled in the previous ten years. Uh, I haven't seen the figures through COVID nineteen, but uh, we know from other measures that you know low mental well being has. Uh, has risen really dramatically. So, you know, COVID has just sort of upped the ante on what was already a, a long-term and very significant health challenge uh, for New Zealand. I mean, uh, our mental health and well-being is actually the biggest health challenge facing New Zealand next to COVID-19. So it's a very big issue. Um, however, I don't agree with what's been recommended in the States. I think uh, a screening okay. program, you know, would frankly it would be a waste of money um you know we are far better to invest that money in stuff that we know works to give people those tools to help to manage uh anxiety so you know yes getting treatment from doctors and getting medications is a part of that for many people it's a part of it for me uh definitely but uh we're actually never going to solve this issue if we just buy into the notion of we have to find the poor broken people and fix them up with doctors, nurses and pills because you're just not going right. to address mental health one person at a time like that. All right, let's bring in uh, Anna, Dean, and how do, how do you see this theme for this week, Anna, reconnecting with people and places uh, that lift you up? I think it's fantastic. It's it's really interesting because I find there's so many good resources now available online, um, particularly in the Instagram and TikTok space. So I think that young people are able to hunt out and find um, this information a lot more easily perhaps than um, more mature people who might be looking in newspapers or in traditional media. And I think though there's this tension whereby we can be spending all of this time online and feeling increasingly isolated because I definitely think a lot of social anxiety has risen as we are more um, getting increasingly sucked into our digital lives. So for me, it's it's such an important message to actually spend time with people and also to be able to ask for that help when you need it. I know with friends of mine, if they go into anxious phases, they just cut themselves off. Yeah. And that's almost the worst thing to do because nobody actually really knows what you need. And even if you don't know what you need yourself, just just actually saying, hey, I need some support at this time can be incredibly helpful for other people who are around you. Is that right, Sean? Look, absolutely. When when I'm struggling, um, you know, I I double down on these kinds of things. I make sure that I have some contact with people every day, even if I don't feel like it. I just feel like withdrawing. I, I've learned over the years that just saying hi to my neighbour as I go to the letterbox or ringing a friend or going around and visiting somebody, and I don't have to talk about how I'm feeling necessarily. It's just actually that physical mm. connection uh, you know, makes a big difference oh. to, to my mood. Well, uh, Sean, I'd be interested in your advice on this. I used to run a, a mental health return to work program um, at, 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 at Student Volunteer Army a few years back, and we helped um, a lot of young people who had quite bad anxiety. And we found quite amazing um, results uh, in, in terms of their, their state-changing activities by getting them to go and help someone else. Um, and I just oh, wonder totally. if you've, if you've mm-hmm. ever come across that or, or looked into that. Oh, yeah, no. 
Absolutely. I mean, one of the frameworks we use is the five ways to well-being. And, you know, its first two sections are connect and give. And and they play very well together. So, you know, giving to others uh, and spending time with other people in that kind of giving state, you know, giving your time Mm -hmm. and attention to others, hugely beneficial for you. makes you feel uh, purposeful, like you've got you know, some meaning and value. It helps you to connect with other people, kind of takes you out of that rumination on yourself. Uh, and, oh, yes. And, and, you know, what's going on behind the common sense is it's actually changing your brain chemistry. The, the chemicals, the hormones we need for a healthy brain are actually created by things we do. So when you connect with people, you're creating oxytocin, you're creating bits of, little bits of serotonin. Um, same if you're spending time with nature or in places that feel good for you. You know, you, you're actually having these little micro doses of the chemicals that we need for healthy brain ke- chemistry. So that's how it works in science. But, you know, you go back to old wisdom, like to give us to receive. It actually happens to be true. Just uh, finally, Sean, just that notion of the, uh, this week's theme, reconnecting with people and places that left you up. I was talking to a person who t- does suffer terribly from anxiety, saying, because I said, is, is it not a no-brainer? Is it not just part of the human experience and nature that we like to you know, um, go and have a coffee with someone or meet up with someone? And this person was saying, well, no, because when I feel really down, um, I do the opposite. I don't want to. Um, meet people. I don't want to see people. I don't feel good about myself, so I tend to lock myself away, and thereby it gets worse. So the reconnection theme is very, very poignant. Yeah, no, absolutely. And yeah, like I say, you know, when I'm feeling like that, I make myself do ah, it because I know from right, experience that I will Gosh. get better. But I don't feel like I don't go, oh, oh. I want to see my neighbour. I feel like, oh, I want to curl up in a ball on the couch. Um, and, uh, you know, it's only experience and the habit of doing this as part of my wellness routine, my mental well-being routine, that, uh, you know, and the fact that I know from my past experience that this will make me feel better, that's what motivates me to do it. But we need support. We need to be motivated. You know, Mental Health Awareness Week is very much about giving people just these little experiences and hoping they'll notice that this does actually make them feel better. Sure. So, yeah, had, making habits that, and making well-being. Lovely. Thank you for your time. Kia ora, Sean. Uh, that's Sean Robinson uh, from the Mental Health uh, Foundation. 13 to 5, the panel. Now, briefly on this, about a month back on the panel, we discussed the increase in dog attacks seen in Tamaki Makaura this year. Some assumed this may be a consequence of our lockdowns, that because dogs were out and about less, they were becoming less socialised. Now, one expert, dog behaviour advisor, Paul Hutton, He's disputing this. He actually thinks the problem may be dogs spending too much time with their owners. And Hutton recently spoke with, at a meeting between city councillors and animal management. He's with us now. Kia ora, Paul. Oh, good afternoon. Yeah, so explain that for us. Why would spending too much time with the owner be a problem for the dog? Well, we're really talking about two separate issues here. The, the issue of dogs spending too much time with the owner <clears throat> invariably results in the dog developing major problems in terms of stress as soon as the owner can't provide the dog with that level of company, and this is where COVID came into play. Oh. 
But to suggest that COVID, there's a link between COVID and bad or aggressive behaviour is just a total red herring and really only a convenient excuse for other failings on the part of the owners to control and, and operate their dog correctly. They're two separate issues. So is it important that dogs socialise with other dogs as well? This is a hugely misunderstood area. This word socialising is bandied around in, in a way that nobody really even understands what they're saying. Uh, socialising has to be done in a controlled way for it to be effective and so much of the socialising that we're talking about here is dogs literally running uncontrolled socialising at places like doggy daycare in the park yep. and so forth in which case just as it is with people uncontrolled socialising leads to serious problems um, so we always have to, to, to preface all of this with it has to be under control and, and it's not the quantity of dogs that uh, a dog mixes with, it's the quality in terms of control. So someone theoretically can live in a very remote spot, uh, have no outside control with dogs for years, or people or any other um, um, aspects of life, come to town and have a perfectly well-behaved dog. So it's, a, it's an absolutely overused, overrated and misunderstood oh. word, this socialising. Gosh, and Adine, it's a science these days, isn't it? <laughs> how, to, how to live alongside your dog. It is, it is. So, uh, Paul, are you saying that these dogs think that they're human? Dogs really another human and or in recent times over on times dogs are generally urban dogs this is because my yes. background is nearly 50 years in high-end working dog training mm-hmm. so I have a, a, a sort of a huge dealings with dogs in that sector where we have virtually no problems and, and some pretty terrific dogs so looking at the urban dog sector is where we have all our problems. And, and the are, biggest these, issue, are these handbag dogs, would you uh, call them? No, or? It's, it's virtually everybody that, uh, that owns dogs in town has a tendency uh, to want to treat it like a human, a baby, uh, sure. or in some well, cases. But, but because they're our family, a little banjo, he goes to sleep with us, he eats with us, he's a member of the Farno Paul. Sure, but it's all about balance. It's all about balance. We can, all, we can have all sorts of things in life if we keep it in balance. And I have no problem with what you've just said there. But if, if we take these to excesses, that's where we have problems. So it's, it's a bit of everything that's okay. But what we're seeing today with urban dogs is excesses of company, excesses of indulgence, excesses. That's the key word. Did you hear that, Sam? <laughs> well, I don't have a dog, but this is all good sort of tips. And I imagine, Paul, it would be particularly um, over-socialisation would happen if, particularly if people work from home. So I guess if, so if you, if in this scenario I'm working from home, I'm with the dog all day long, the dog's also, like Wallace, part of the whanau at night time, should you have it in a different room for half the day or something to let its brain rest and recover? Or what's your, I guess, rule right, of thumb? We're just back to balance. Right from day one when I help people with young dogs, I say to them, it's a bit of everything in balance. Right. So when dogs come into the home and spend, or even say during COVID was the main problem, excesses, excessive amounts of company, excesses and everything lead to problems. And it's not company, so it's the excess of it. And that's the trend today. Dogs are living far more inside all the time. And that's where we have a problem oh. with COVID. Well, I grew up, we did grow, grow up with a dog, just, but it was outside. Mine's inside the whole time. Whoops. Paul, I'm going to change my ways. I'm going to sort of uh, re-educate Banjo and get that get that word balanced back into my dog behaviourism. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> kia, ora, kia ora, Paul. Thanks for uh, the advice there. That's Paul Hutton there, a behaviour expert. Now, uh, regarding things that you hadn't done until later in life, uh, I said s- cycling at the age of th- uh, 13. Anna Dean learned to cook two years ago. <laughs> Welcome, That's Anna. Welcome. Thank you. Send us a recipe, Anna. Um, 
Bruce, the wonderful Bruce in Palmerston North says, well, what about this one? I started medieval combat at 44. Ooh. Yep, exactly. That's if you told me that I was, uh, if you told me that, uh, that I wouldn't want to try at all, I'd have laughed at you in disbelief. Well, I love it. So there you go. There's still time for us Abs- all to join that. Absolutely. There's still time for you, Sean. Sam, rather. Uh, finally to this. Now, I don't know if you've ever had the experience of coming across a hurt, helpless little bird. It can be quite a heartbreaking experience. Some years ago, a small group of us up in Blockhouse Bay there surrounded a little birdie that needed help, and someone suggested bird care Aotearoa. They're a registered charity based in Green Bay in Auckland, New Zealand's largest wildlife hospital and rehab centre. And they're struggling to get funds. They've got a campaign closest Thursday. With us is Dr Lynn Miller, General Manager from BirdCare Aotearoa. Dr Miller, kia ora. Kia ora, and thank you for having us on. Oh, pleasure. Um, you know, you came to us at the right time because we were actually quite... I'm gonna, I remember I was quite distraught because how are we going to care for this bird with a broken wing? Who do we call? 111? The cops? Fire? <laughs> <laughs> we were going for it all, then. Guess what? There's a dedicated bird care place. Couldn't believe it. Here you are. How many birds do you take care of every year? This year we're going to top out at 7,000, I suspect. Wow. 6,710 birds made it through our doors. So admissions have increased markedly, I understand. They have. And in fact, we are running at about 15% up, or 16%, excuse me, on this time last year. So we've actually had, so far today, we've had 3,924 birds come across our door. And we have currently 110 patients in care. So you can imagine Whoa. just the need. Yes. Well, Lynn, Lynn I've, got a, I've got a question. So one of, um, so we've got a big network of volunteers around the country, particularly at secondary school. What, what do you do if you find a bird that needs to be um, helped or supported? First thing is to make sure you really do need to rescue it. Sometimes teenage birds, you know, they come out of the nest and and they're a bit cocky and mum and dad are still keeping an eye on them, but they look as though they're abandoned. So make sure first that you need to rescue them. Obviously, if they're injured or if a cat has had them or they've hit windows, then they definitely need care. And that all takes money, as you can imagine, because we have the most incredible team here waiting just to take care of those birds. All, all sorts of birds, Lynn, or just um, sort of uh, native birds or more protected birds? No, all birds. The only thing we're not allowed to keep here are roosters, and that's a, a city council ordinance. But uh, really, even if it's an injured rooster, we would rather you brought it to us so that we could take care of it in the short term. I don't mind saying, Lynn, you do some pretty awesome mahi there, Berke Aotearoa, and a little publicised side, I don't mind uh, giving you a bit of a, um, a place on this forum. Awesome. We'll, come to, we'll come to Anadine soon. But uh, you need cash. Uh, you we haven't do. got enough. You're struggling a bit. How can people listening this afternoon help Berke Aotearoa? Well, you can go to our Facebook page uh, or our website and you can click on the Give a Little. Go and give a little. What we have at the moment is this wonderful $1,000 matching grant that will be given to us if we get $1,000 in donations. So every dollar actually makes two, and that's been matched by veterinary specialists of Aotearoa. So our wonderful veterinary colleagues 
mm. are stepping up to the plate as well. All right, and listeners, you listen to this, a bird smacks into your window, which often happens. If you're, if you're in Tamagimakota, there is a place to, uh, uh, to send a bird call to Aroa. Anna. It's interesting, Lynn. I um, have also been recently learning about um, feeding birds and what's good to feed them and definitely avoiding bread. And I wasn't <laughs> aware that, that actually you needed to clean your bird feeder area mm. um, regularly. And um, that's yeah. been quite a shock to me. So um, I'm, I'm, it's amazing that everybody's become so much more aware of their surroundings because of um, this whole COVID time. And yeah. Um, it is, uh, yeah, I've been amazed actually. All the things I, would do, I was doing were completely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Lynn, you need fifteen grand, is that right? A two-week crowdfunding campaign. Um, well, well, that's that's just our. This is just this particular campaign. You can imagine our budget is way higher. Yeah, we have mm. staff on duty. We operate every day of the week. We have always got patients here, and there's always paid staff, and of course the volunteers who are absolute gold. Yeah. But. We can't operate without having that core of staff always here. And baby birds need to be fed at least over 12 hours a day. You can imagine. That's a, that's a fairly heavy work day, isn't it? And uh, there's never an end to the mouths that are opening and the poop that is coming out the other end. So, oh, Lynn. <laughs> Look, um, no. f- Facebook page, Bird Ka Aotearoa. Um, put, 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 some, uh, put some money in if you do have it. Um, Thank you. But for now, Dr. Lynn Miller, the general manager of Bird Ka Aotearoa. But coming back to that um, volunteerism notion, Sam, of which you are uh, a significant part of with the Student Volunteer Army, it is back to that people doing that stuff for free, isn't it? Well, it like, is. Yeah, it's yeah. extraordinary, if you, if, you, eh? if you come across a bird on the street and you're around the country or at, at home or at a farm or something, I mean, you've, you've got to be practical about it. But I think but it's surgeons. A, particularly that if there's a native bird and uh, actually one of our rare birds that we're trying to look after, I think anything you can do to look after our birds is a good thing, setting rat traps and doing that type of thing. And we focus on a lot of those little micro-actions you can take. And if you can't do that, you know, make, then, you know, make a donation. Oh, wonderful, wonderful mm. stuff. Here's another one. The Mayor of Whanganui says... I had never played a musical instrument until two years ago Mm. when some friends asked me to be in a band as they needed a bass guitar. So I was 52 the year ago and people are asking for Anadine's recipes. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see about that. I I would love one as well, Anna. How to do that that. cooked eggs just the perfect way. Very good. Anadine, Sam Johnson, thank you. Checkpoint next.